Blooming Inspired Network, empowering the voices of women who lead as they live their lives blooming alive. Good morning. This is Michelle Bentham, host of Blooming Inspired Podcast, and here we are on day five of our series, The Unoffended Heart. And this morning, I'm going to be reading a few passages of scripture, so grab your Bible. We're going to start in Psalm 15, and then we're going to jump over um, to a few passages about trust today. And so um, I'm pretty excited about how I'm going to wrap up this message series on the unoffended heart. Remember the first day we talked about that you can choose to live unoffended. The second day we talked about how, um, oh, I'm going to have to look because it just completely jumped out of my brain. Um, So we're going to look at how the second day we looked at Um, how you can choose love and grace to live unoffended. By living by the love and the grace and the mercy of God, we can choose to live unoffended. And on the third day, we talked about the righteousness and joy of Christ. And yesterday, we talked about the armor. And so today, we're going to talk about we can choose to trust God above everything else. And this is a key to living and walking in with an unoffended heart. And so um, I want to just remind you of something that we read um, in a different translation today. It's in the New Living Translation, but it is from Romans chapter 5, which is what we read on Wednesday when we talked about the righteousness and joy of, of Christ in our lives and how that helps us to live an unoffended life. Because in verse 21 it says, For God made Christ who never sinned, who never offended, to be the offering of our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And in some translations that says, so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ you are the righteousness of God. And so I want you to have that in mind as we read this next passage because I want you to be thinking, like, remember that the Old Testament existed before the New Testament, but God, who inspired the writing of both Testaments, knew what righteousness meant to him, right? And so he knew that someday he was going to have Paul pin those words that we are, by faith, the righteousness of Christ. When we believe in Christ, it's counted to us as righteousness. And this is to the point, because in order to have faith in God, you have to trust Him. You have to believe what He says is true. And I'm going to tell you a story about how He brought this kind of out in my life as well. And so let's start in Psalm 15. But before we do, let's go ahead and say a word of prayer. So Jesus, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you that you sacrificed yourself, that you honored the will of your Father, even to the point of death on a cross, so that we could be saved, so that we could be righteous, so that we could walk in the grace and the love and the mercy that you offered to us, so that we can be empowered by your Holy Spirit, so that we can love people and share your gospel message with And so, Lord, today we ask you to open our eyes and our ears that you would be um, magnified and glorified, God, and that your words would penetrate the hearts of every person within the sound of our voice. And where we need to repent, we would repent. And where we need to be strengthened, we would be strengthened. And where we need to be encouraged, we would be encouraged. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you so much. Um, So, Psalm 15. And I'm reading from the New King James Version for this particular passage um, because this is the way it came to me in that season of my life when I felt like, um, when I felt like I didn't know which end was up. And it was, um, it was, I was in the third year of grieving the death of my son. The third anniversary had just passed and we were entering into the third year. And um, at Christmas time, uh, I learned that my husband had been speaking to another woman online and by phone for about six months. And it just, it really 
um, on top of the grieving of my son's death, it just really wrecked me. It was, these are my two worst confessed fears. And you may think, well, he, if he didn't actually have an affair with her where he slept with her, um, how can that be the ultimate betrayal for you? Well, it can be the ultimate betrayal for me because the two things that I needed from him that he didn't seem to be able to give me, words of affirmation and quality time, he was giving to someone else. And so, um, because that's my love language, words of affirmation and quality time. And so I began after learning that what had happened there um, to ask God for a word to carry me through that season. Because if I, and I shared this a few days ago, talking about how I chose to ask God to forgive him in the moment that I learned about it, and then to work out that forgiveness in me. And it, I mean, like I said, it didn't come neat or clean or without mess. Um, it was it was difficult. It was heartrending. Um, I didn't do it well all the time. And, um, and to his credit, my husband stayed through the messy part of it. He could have left. He could have just said, I'm not going to do this. I, you know, even, even if he, if he would have recognized he was wrong, he could have still said, I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm not going to have this fight with you because he hates fighting. He hates, he hates, um, conflict and this created a lot of conflict for me um, and I told you that God made me repent first of not being concerned with his needs and so not that I took responsibility for the choices that he made but I took responsibility for my part and the way that my choices influenced his decisions um, and so I let him go for months realizing there was something wrong and when I'd ask him about it, if he would tell me there was nothing wrong, I would just let that go. And, um, and so the Lord gave me the word, the truth. Um, and, and, and I heard the scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Whenever I was asking him for a word for that season. And so I did a word study on truth and I landed in Psalm 15. And it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in, your, in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And whose eyes a vile person is despised? But he who honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put his money to, at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He, does these things, he who does these things shall never be moved. And now, I want to focus in on verses 2, 1 and 2. Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly, who works righteousness, who speaks the truth in your heart. In his heart. You see, the heart is the issue, right? We talked about the unoffended heart. The heart is the issue. And so I think back to that season, and I did a Bible study called No Other Gods by Kelly Mentor. And in that Bible study, she said something so profound, I have never forgotten it. She said that the enemy of our soul, Satan, will tell us the facts of our circumstances all day long, but he will not tell us the truth. He cannot tell us the truth. He is the father of lies. The only person that can tell us the full truth is Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. He is the truth that sets us free. And that revelation came to me because as, during that season, I blogged about what I was going through and what I was feeling. And I um, shared online this was before I got on Facebook. I was on MySpace a little bit, just keeping up with my kids. But I wasn't doing the social media thing outside of blogging. And I wrote on this post that as these revelations of what had happened came to me and, and kind of hit me, I would confess to myself, if this is truth, eventually it will set me free. And I'd written that in this blog post. And, and a loving friend just corrected me so sweetly 
in the comments on that blog post and she said you, the, the, the painful reality of your circumstances is not the truth that sets you free. I'm going to say that again. The painful reality of your circumstances is not the truth that sets you free. And you know, in Proverbs it says that we are to guard our hearts for they are the wellspring of life. And I want to go over to Jeremiah chapter 17 because it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And, and this is a contrasting um, picture of the human heart because we have the soulish heart, our flesh heart, our flesh seat of our emotions and our will and, 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 our, and our mind. And then we have our spiritual heart, which at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and awakens to life our spirit and that heart. And so these two hearts are like two halves of one whole and they're in direct opposition to each other. One desires to be supreme and that is your soul, which has always been in charge before you're saved. But at the point of salvation, if our human heart, and I'm talking about our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, if it does not repent and surrender to the Lordship of Christ, you can be saved and not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You can receive His atoning work and not receive His power to live the overcoming life. just want to say it out loud. Now you may think, oh, well, that can't be true. You'll be a false convert. There'd be no fruit. No, I believe you can be saved. As Paul wrote, he said that you could be saved as one escaping flames. And in order to be saved as one escaping flames, it means that you would be saved, but there would be no fruit or evidence of maturity beyond the point of salvation in your life. And so... There would be no walking uprightly. There would be no working of righteousness. There would be no telling the truth in your heart. It's why for, for ages, gossip has run amok in the church in the form of prayer requests. It's why it's so easy to judge people from your religious mindset. I'm just going to say it out loud. If, if you're judging and assessing people's behavior and, 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 and what they're doing, based on your perspective, then you really haven't fully grasped what Jesus did on the cross. Because Jesus did what he did on the cross in spite of what everybody was doing, in spite of the human perspective and condition. And he did it to redeem the human perspective and condition. He didn't build boundaries and, and, and keep the people who would hurt him away. Did I say that out loud? I did, I did. I did. Not that boundaries aren't necessary for healthy relationships. I think they are. But boundaries are necessary for healthy relationships to facilitate the relationship. Not to cast people aside. And the only place I would say there's exceptions to that is in, in areas where there was abuse involved. And, and when I say abuse, I mean relationships that are detrimental to the well-being of the person and and not just dysfunction not just um, I believe abuse comes with the intent to do harm and so you have to consider what the other person has been through um, and I would use two examples in my life from to, to exemplify this um, My first husband was um, somewhat abusive in the fact that he would lose control of his temper and cause me harm. But when it started at the, at the very beginning, I stayed with him for three and a half years after the abuse began. And, and the reason that I stayed and became classically battered was because 
I was convinced in my mind that he couldn't help what he was doing. Until one day, he had, a, he had been so abusive to me. It was in the, in, in the wintertime. It was very cold outside. Until one day, he was, he was abusive to me. He's very angry with me. He had hit me. He had knocked my head against the wall. And then I had gotten angry and went to get my children because I was going to leave. And he grabbed me. And without shoes or coat or anything on, he put me outside of the house and locked me out and then grabbed my children and stood at the window and laughed at me. And I don't say this to cause harm to him. I say this to say that at that point I realized what he did, he did on purpose. It wasn't just that he couldn't control what was happening. What he did, he did with intention. He lost control of his, his emotions and then there was this moment where he shifted into a cruel mindset and he and his abuse of me became devastating. Um, which, because I didn't deal with that after our divorce, I ended up in a much worse relationship with a much more abusive man. And um, this man, I did not marry him, but I was very close to marrying him. And... Um, he broke my nose, and um, but he was just very cruel, and he was very mean-spirited, and he seemed to take pleasure from it. And his dad told me later that I should get away from him. His mother told me I was the bravest woman she'd ever met because I stood up to him one day. Um, but his dad told me, he said, I don't know why you're with him, because if you've heard the way, if you had heard the way he bragged about what he's done to you, um, you would not be with him. And so I did end up breaking it off with him. He came after, he went to jail for a period of time, which helped me to set the appropriate boundaries. I had a restraining order. And, um, but when he got out, he looked me up and he found me and I, and I was able to tell him that it wouldn't work, that he needed to go. Um, and so, with that said, um, these two men in my life were abusive to me. They intended to do me harm. Um, they didn't, they, they, it wasn't that they, they were broken and they couldn't help it. It was that they were, they intended to do me harm. They didn't learn from the first time they hurt me that it was wrong to hurt me and repent and change. And some of what my first husband did was born of dysfunction because he was significantly abused. And I believe that, that abused people do perpetrate abuse. Um, I believe that my, the, the man that hurt me in the second relationship, that he was just simply abusive. I didn't see the dysfunction in him that I saw in my first husband. Not that those are excuses. And you need boundaries to keep those people out of your life when they when they do such irreparable damage but in order for that to be effective I had to communicate to him that he could not be a part of my life and I had to tell him up front that this that I didn't have any interest in being in a relationship with him and so that's part of telling the truth in your heart not avoiding the person who's hurt you but telling them the truth about what they did to you and giving them a chance to respond. And I believe in our current climate, we take up offense against people because they've hurt us, whether that be physically, emotionally, mentally, verbally. There's no reason why a person should stay in a, in a relationship that's mentally, emotionally, physically, or verbally abusive, as in live with that person and, and, and stay. But there should be an opportunity for them to repent and work toward reconciliation and prove that they're abusive rather than simply dysfunctional. Because a dysfunctional person will learn from what they've been through. They will, if they're in, the, in Christ, they will repent of what they've been through. And they will move forward. And, you know, I know that's hard to hear. Um, 
for some people who've been through horrendous abuse. And I'm saying that you need to do what you need to do to stay safe. As long as unforgiveness is not the issue. As long as offense, if you're, as long as you're not offended by them, as long as you're not re-traumatized by the experiences of other people. And so transferring your experience onto them. Um, and so I'm down a rabbit trail. So the only way I can walk truly uprightly is to forgive the other person who owes me a debt, who caused me harm, who did damage to me, to forgive them the way Christ forgave me, which was to endure the pain, to die to himself, and completely surrender to his Father's will. So in order to have healthy boundaries, in order to healthy, in a healthy way respond to abuse, and I can tell you I don't have relationships with the men who abuse me. I just don't. Um, because I, um, those relationships aren't necessary for me. And they aren't healthy for me. They weren't healthy for me to be in. It was very difficult to be in a relationship with my ex-husband for the sake of my children because he could provoke the unhealthiest responses for me. He could make me the angriest because I felt justified in my anger towards him. And it wasn't until I was able to see him from God's perspective and trust God completely with what happened between us that I was able to fully forgive him and not carry that pain with me anymore. And so my heart became unoffended towards him. And so let's look at the, the next passage of scripture because I think it will help us as well. You see, I had been through these damaging relationships all my life. And then I meet this moment where the one man who I trusted, the one man that I, I, had, I had believed would never hurt me, did. And that was my second husband, who I'm now married to, when we went through this period where he had the emotional affair. And I, I mentioned that my son passed away. It's been almost 13 years since that occurred. And um, the Lord has completely redeemed it. And I hope that you don't have any pain in your heart for me because God has fully restored me through that. I still miss him. I still love him. I'm still his mom. But he's been sent ahead to heaven for safekeeping. And so I, I don't have the same anguish and grief over his passing as I did when it first happened. But Justin came through some very difficult things himself. And one of the verses that he held on to was trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And I just remember reading that scripture um, over and over again after he died. And here I had had all of these these, I, I had studied what it meant to trust God. I had studied so much of, of Scripture, and I believed I fully trusted in Him, and I had full faith in Him to not only protect me, but take care of me. Well, let me read what verse 7 says to you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh, this is verse 8, and strength to the bones, to your bones. And I think about being wise in my own eyes. Being wise in my own eyes tells me I have it all figured out about why they did what they did, who they are, what they're doing. Even my assessment of these men saying they intended to hurt me to some extent um, reflects a little bit of judgment on my part, right? But if I honor the, the Lord and I trust Him, then I 
well, let me go to how I figured this out first. So I'm walking through this season with my husband now where we're working through the, the effects of the emotional affair in our relationship. And he um, was had worked out of town during that period when he had the emotional affair. And so the opportunity came up for him to work out of town again. And um, I remember telling him, I'm okay with you going to work out of town, but if I need you to come home, I need you to come home. And he agreed. And so he went to work out of town. And the first week he was working out of town, it was Saturday afternoon, and I was getting ready to go to church. And I was putting some things in my purse standing at the kitchen table when I heard the voice of the Lord. And it wasn't an audible voice. It's just something that, that happens in my mind where I hear these words. And, and I heard the words, you don't trust me. And I kind of chuckled. And I said, of course I trust you. I know all the verses in Scripture about trusting you. And he said, no, you don't. You don't trust me. Because if you trusted me, you wouldn't worry about people. Oh. Oh, yeah. So if I don't trust you, I don't trust you with all my heart? No. So if I'm not trusting you with all of my heart, then I'm leaning to my own understanding. I'm not acknowledging you in all my ways. And I'm not letting you direct my path. I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to take care of myself. Yes, that was exactly where he was going with that. So I went through this whole season of learning to trust the Lord. And it says, in the, it, there's this very beautiful passage of Scripture that talks about the result of trusting the Lord. And it says... Um, in Psalm 52, 8, it says, But I am like a green olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And I began to learn um, that part of the reason that people hurt me is because I was looking to them to do something for me that only God could do. I was looking for them to save me. I was looking for them to love me. I was looking for them to um, to care for me in a way that only God could care for me. And so he brings me to this place of just utter dependence on him. Everything I've tried to do, including get my husband to love me the way I need to be loved, has failed. And it was during this season that I, found, I stumbled upon this verse. It was during my time of recovering from what had happened in that. And, and the, the verse is Psalm 62, 5, but I'm going to read 5 through 8 because I think it's powerful. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. And, and in some translations it says, My soul, let's see, um, let me go to, I believe this is, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. This is the New King James Version. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, and I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge, my protection is in Him. Verse 8 says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. You see, what happens is our mind begins to make assumptions about things that should happen, setting expectations, setting expectations for people, for God, for, for our lives. But apart from God, those expectations will fail us. So part of protecting my heart is making my expectation about Him. Setting my heart on Him and who He is and who I know Him to be from Scripture. Because even if people will fail me or abandon me or leave me or hurt me, God never will. And as a matter of fact, if His grace operates inside of me, I don't have to be whole hurt. I don't have to be damaged by what they do. 
I can stand firm in my faith and love them the way God loves them because I can ask him for his perspective and he'll show me. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. One of the things I've learned to do is take those thoughts that I'm having about my husband or about people who have hurt me and, and pour them out to God. Pour them out to God. And trust that he will protect me. He will take care of me. He will champion me. That he will be the rock of strength that I need. He will be my shelter. He will be my salvation and my glory. He will defend me. I don't have to be shaken. I don't have to be moved. Because if all my hope, my anticipation, my expectation is in him, I can't be let down. Because everything that God provides is enough. I just have to trust it in the moment it doesn't feel like it's enough. I just have to trust it in the moment that betrayal comes. I just have to trust it in the moment that somebody does something wrong that I don't like. I just have to trust it when I look around at a broken and fallen world and love people from his perspective because it's the only choice I have. And that begins with telling the truth in my heart, the truth about how I feel, the truth about what has happened, the truth about what needs to happen next. And then I allow, allow God to tell the truth to my heart. To tell me his perspective and his truth. I pour out my perspective to him and allow him to correct it as he needs to and then I line up with where he is. I believe that we've entered a, a place in life in society where people are disposable. If I don't like the way you treat me, I call you an abuser and I throw you out of my life. Which is which means that we no longer believe in God's redemption and his ability to redeem people and to change them and transform them. If that's true, our society no longer believes that people can be changed. That's a big deal. And as, as I consider how this applies to us as women who lead, who have been hurt in some instances by people who were well-intended, who believed they were following scripture, but still ended up oppressing us and keeping us from our purpose or our calling simply because we didn't know we could act differently. When I think about it from that perspective, I want us to be able to not be offended by the current state in some places, but I want us to focus all the more on what it is that God is doing now, what it is that God is doing in your life. Where, if, if the place to lead is not the church, where do you have opportunity to lead? Let's focus there. Let's not, let's not focus on busting down a wall over here when, when there may be a perfectly reasonable place for you to lead somewhere else where you can be equipped and you can, you can walk out your purpose and your calling on your life of leadership in a way that honors other people and doesn't require them to believe what you believe in order to live at peace with them. Because it is required of us to live at peace with all people. It means that if I attend a church where there is not an opportunity for women to grow in leadership, I don't impose upon them, but I submit to that leadership willingly, not subjected. If I know what their expectations are, and I go to them expecting something different, then is it not on me that is it not on me to that I have been offensive because of my expectation? 
You see, I believe God will call us and he will plant us in places that are uncomfortable, that are challenging, that are not necessarily what we get from him in scripture, even. Heck, John was in prison, peeps. John was in prison when he wrote Revelation. Paul was in prison. Barnabas was in prison. They were persecuted. John died a natural death, but the rest of them were crucified. They were martyred. Where did we get this idea that life should be easy and, and, and good for us? Where did we get this idea that people wouldn't hurt us? Even godly people. Because the truth is they're just people. They're just human beings. Prone to error, prone to sin, just like you and I. They are not Jesus and they are not God. They are called to be Christ-like. And, and if we are wise, we would pray for them to be Christ-like. But we don't need to judge their convictions based on our convictions. We need to judge ourselves and love mercy towards them. There's this passage that says that if someone hurts you to heap burning coals on their head. Let me find, look that up real quick. Um, it's uh, from Proverbs 25, which I'm excited to read now. Um, so I'm going to go to the New King James Version. New King James is kind of my favorite study version. Uh, and so I'm looking this up, and... Uh, <laughs> Let me see where it is. But it, it's about when you're wronged. Okay. So it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. There's a reward in serving those who oppose you. And this picture of heaping coals of fire on people's head um, is not like you're going to torment them with your actions. But instead, you're being generous toward them. And, and there's this picture of back in those olden days there they would have the fire in the center of town and the people would come to town to get their fire and the poor would live on the edges of the town the the destitute the outcast would live on the edges of town but they too would have to come to the center of town and get the coals from the fire and they would put them in pots up on their head and carry them home and um, and so these people who were living on the edge of town, very likely by the time they got their, their coals home, they had burned out. So along the way, as they went, now remember, they're the outcasts. They're, they're the people who live on the edge of town. They're considered poor and needy. And people would come out and they would cast coals of fire into the pots on their head to keep their fire burning until they got home. What if, even as we saw them as our enemy, we took the fire of God that we have in our lives and put it on them and put it on them and put it on them until a fire burns in them. A few weeks ago, um, I had my art out at an art show here in town. And um, I had painted this picture of a photograph that I had taken in a local coffee shop uh, not too, too many months ago. It was, it was, well, it was more four years ago. That's a, that's a few months. That's like 48 months, right? It was four years ago that I took the photograph. But I'd been working on the painting for, for about three years and, and really only actively worked on it for, for, for about six months out of those three years. I'd painted the background in and had the three 
human figures sitting at this table in the painting and um, did and, and really just struggled with painting the human figures because I did not think that I was good at it. And so I had finally finished this painting at the urging of my gallery owner. I, I, I'll tell you, if you are a practicing artist who hasn't put your artwork before other people and you consider it just a hobby, I would encourage you to find someone who values art and not and I don't mean in a monetary way but has an appreciation for art and get them to help you um, to find the value in what you do go to an art class um, some of the most encouraging words I've gotten is is from instructors in art classes who who have sort of questioned why I came to the art class um, in the moment and so Anyway, so I'm working on this painting in the studio, and I get it finished about this about the fourth anniversary of when I took that photograph four years ago. And I was going to hang it in the gallery, and I took it to the gallery one morning and noticed that something in the car had bumped up against it and scratched the paint, and so I needed to repair it. So I took it home, and I repaired it, and it sat in my entryway in my house um, for, after I repaired it for about two and a half weeks. And I didn't finally take it up there until we did um, our art tent at the Wine Walk here in town. We have this art walk every year the last weekend of April. And so I displayed that, that painting at the Wine Walk, and I had a decent price on it. Um, and so uh, the manager for the coffee shop where I took the picture came in, saw it, said, Oh, that is so good. Can I take a photograph of it? So she took, snapped a shot of it with her phone. I told her if she didn't want to buy the painting, I'd, I'd put a print aside for her. And so I put the print aside, and she uh, said she would get back to me and left. Well, a little while later, a young man comes by, and he inquires about the painting and says, Did you paint that? And I said, Yes, I did. And he said, We well, did a really good job of capturing my dad's favorite seat. And the picture was of a young man with two older gentlemen sitting at a table near the window in the coffee shop. And um, he said, you did a good job of painting my dad's favorite seat in the, in the coffee shop. And I was like, well, thank you. And he said, how much do you want for it? And so I told him. And then he um, he said, well, I'll think about it and I'll, and I'll get back to you. And so he left. And after he left, um, I came back. I sat there and I didn't think anything else about it. And I left that evening. I was very tired. It had been warm that day. I had a coaching call that evening. And, and so I had my mind on other things. When I started getting text messages from the girls in the tent asking about the original picture, saying that the young man had come back and he would like to see the original picture because he thinks it's him and his dad. And so I, I had to go back on Facebook to that day, which was March the 19th. 2014 and I I found the photograph and I sent it to them and they were like it's him and his dad died eight months ago and I was like then I definitely want to talk to him if you ask him to come back tomorrow I will have a copy of that photograph for him and um, so I, I printed it out I did my coaching call went back up there to tear down my stuff for the night and um, he was there talking to the women and so I was able to walk up. I heard his story. And as he's telling me his story, he said, I really didn't think it could be me. Because, and my dad, because one, you put hair on top of his head, which had to do with me. I blurred the photograph out to give it a real impressionistic look. And so it looked like there was just a light tuft of hair on top of his head because of the light and, and so forth. And so he said, you put hair on, it, on his head and you made it look your own. And he really didn't have that. But, um, but I didn't think it was, it could be me because 11 months after you took that photo, my father had a, a, a serious cardiac event. He was no longer able to go to the coffee shop. He stayed in a, a while in rehab and then lived with his son who took care of him while he still worked at the coffee shop. And he said, so I didn't think anybody would have a recent picture of us to be able to paint that. And, and he just wept as he told the story about his father's illness and, and everything. And I told him, I said, I don't believe 
that in, there's in, in coincidences. I believe that the Lord had me take that painting that day. And it took me so long to paint it and finish it because it would be a comfort to you now. And he said, you know, normally I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with you because I tell you I'm agnostic and my father certainly wouldn't have agreed with you because he was even more agnostic than I was. And he said, but I don't have an explanation for this. And so by the end of the night, he allowed me to pray for him and he bought the painting and I would have given it to him if he would have asked me to give it to him. But, um, I really wanted, I really needed to hear from him. That was the desire of his heart because I didn't want to impose how I felt on him in that moment. And when I prayed for him, I didn't, I didn't compel him towards salvation. I just prayed and thanked God for a father and son's love that reminded me so much of God. And that even when we might not acknowledge that he exists, he would send this moment to comfort and to, and to offer life and care to him, even though he didn't really believe that God existed. And so I say all that to say, I've run into him a few times at the grocery store, stopped into the coffee shop and had lunch. And, and I never push. I just seize the moment to share a smile, to be kind, and to build a relationship so that at some point I might be able to share the gospel with him in a way that matters to him. And so that's, that's to me is what, that to me is what honor looks like because God doesn't violate people's will. And so sometimes I think we get the idea that we have to compel them into salvation when in fact we have to win their will and their choices so that they'll desire God and they'll love him. And we have to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who draws them to Christ. And so I believe there's, there's a lot of people who have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and perhaps by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but have never truly recognized what it is that they did that put Jesus on the cross, why they needed salvation. And so in a, in a way, they're not saved. And I, and I heard a story about someone just recently who that was their testimony, that someone had shared the gospel with them after they'd been attending church for so many years and they came to know the Lord and become saved. And, and, and it just convicted me that I take it for granted that those people sitting in church know the Lord, the ones that come every week and are passionate about serving. And so um, I don't want to miss an opportunity that God sets before me because my heart is offended by something. I don't want to be a Pharisee with my religious attitudes. I don't want to turn someone away because I represent the God of wrath and not the God of love and mercy. And I don't want to hold people to the standard that God has convicted me to, especially the world who doesn't know him. Because I believe we become offensive to the world when we live that way. And I'm not saying wink at sin or or condone it or say it's right. I'm saying give room for God to move in your conversations and your opportunities and know that he will bear witness for you, that you don't have to force it to happen. You don't have to, to turn someone away from you. If they come asking about what you believe, be willing to share it and give an answer for what you believe. But do it in a spirit of love and mercy and grace and not in a condemning way. Because Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn it, but to save it. And we're supposed to be Christ-like in our response. I just want to encourage you with this. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says um, that we are the righteousness of Christ. And I'm going to read the whole passage to you because it's just so powerful to realize this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though... Um, God, we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, we reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We should be a picture of the righteousness of Christ to the world. And the way we do that is keeping our heart clean before God and allowing him to work through us, not by trying to force a situation 
against someone else's will. And so, yes, there's a lost and dying world and we need to save it, but we're going to save them by our love, not by our condemnation, not by our, our, our offense at who they are and how they live. And so we need to be loving and we need to be generous and we need to be kind in every circumstance. We need to be filled full of the Holy Spirit and protect our hearts with the righteousness of God. <coughs> so with that said, I'm going to close out this week's um, series on the unoffended heart, which is a prayer for our hearts. God, show us what you want us to see. Tell us what you want us to do. And make us attentive to your words and your promptings. And let it be done according to your will. Move in our hearts. Move in our lives. Help us to live up to the standard of the righteousness of Christ. And knowing that we will not be fully complete until we are face to face with him in heaven. But until then we can let your sanctifying work be worked out in us through the justification of your son Jesus Christ. And know that by faith. You credit righteousness to our account. That as we believe in Christ and we believe you for more, that you credit that righteousness to us. I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've put on my heart this week. And I pray, God, that your loving kindness would bring us to repentance and would help us to lead others to repentance as well. And that there would be life-changing moments in many people's lives as a result of the things that you have shared with me and that I've been able to share with others. I just thank you for who you are. I'm humbled that you would use me and speak through me. And I just ask, Lord, that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's all that I have for you today. I'm going to close out our session today and this week. And next week, I will be joining you with a brand new word. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about the future of Blooming Inspired Podcast and the Blooming Inspired Podcasting Network that I'm building um, as I've got some, some women that I need to contact over the weekend and share with them just how I see this working. And so I'm hoping to bring you different perspectives, different women's and different voices um, across our podcasting network. And I pray that um, you would pray with me in agreement with me that, that all that the Lord has planned for us would be fulfilled. And if you have a desire to do your own podcasting show and would like a network where we can share expenses and things, then I just ask you to consider that time with me um, and consider that time. Reach out to me at Blooming Inspired Network on uh, Facebook. That's at Blooming Inspired. Or you can reach out through the Contact Us uh, page on the Blooming Inspired Network, bloominginspirednetwork.com forward slash contacts dash us. And so with that said, I am grateful to be online with you. I pray that you are blessed beyond measure and that you have a restful weekend. And remember that blooming where you're planted is the first step to living your wildest dreams. <laughs>